In your place, take your Bible and turn to Judges chapter 8, please. Judges chapter 8. Don't forget that we need to have choir practice right after the afternoon service as we prepare for conference, so please choir, uh, stick around and, and remember that, all right? <clears throat> Judges chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 21, a fairly lengthy portion here in Judges chapter 8. And for, for some time we've been looking at the lives of the judges of Israel and considering uh, each one as they come. And for the last few weeks, we've had our attention focused on Gideon. And as you might remember, Gideon was a fearful young man when we first uh, were introduced to him. And we noticed how the Lord had selected him to lead the nation of Israel, to deliver them from the Midianites. And we talked about how Gideon argued with the Lord, saying why he wasn't the right fit for the job and how he had a personal uh, encounter with God that changed his heart and changed his mind. And uh, even though his mind was changed, he was still fearful, he was still lacking in faith, and God brought him along step by step, little by little, to grow him in his faith. And we've made life applications uh, to you and me along the way too, how the Lord grows our faith and works patiently with us. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? That the Lord's patient with you? And he was patient with his disciples when he said to his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith, you've seen me do some amazing things, and yet you still uh, are lacking in faith. And the Lord is gracious to us. And so uh, we've worked our way through the life of Gideon, even though he was reluctant to obey the Lord's call in his life at first. Eventually he did as the Lord commanded. And what we have discovered is that uh, then we talked about how God's plan was the best plan, Uh, even though there were 32,000 men who wanted to go to war, God whittled it down to 300, and God gave Israel an amazing victory over the Midianites. And what we're going to find in chapter 8 is that the Midianites have suffered terrible losses. There's only 15,000 men left of the original 135,000 that began the battle. And this chapter records for us the events that occurred in the immediate aftermath of that conflict. And there's some some really good thoughts and principles to draw out here in this portion of Scripture. And and we're going to talk about pride in politics today. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute as we read, okay? So let's start in verse 1. And you follow along. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. Now let's back up just a little bit and see the last few verses of chapter 7. Verse 24 says, And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb and Zeb they slew in the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side Jordan. 
All right, so the, the victory over the Midianites has just been won. Gideon sends out messengers to all of Ephraim in the help to finally pursue after the remaining. Okay? And so all of a sudden Ephraim's like, yeah, we'll we'll come to the we'll come to the to the call and we'll do this, right? But then you get to verse 1 of chapter 8, and the men of Ephraim said, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. Keep that in mind, all right? And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thy hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him, as the men of Succoth, and answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the host of the children of the east, for there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbaha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle before the sun was up, and caught a young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him, and he described unto him the princes of Succoth, the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thy hand, that we should give bread unto thy, thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Zeba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother, as the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zeba and Zalmunna and, take away the, and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. We'll stop right there uh, for today. 
But I wanted to just point out here that this chapter records, again, the events that occurred immediately after this conflict. And you would think that the nation of Israel as a whole would be overjoyed that they're delivered from the Midianites, wouldn't you? The ones who oppressed them for seven years, the ones who came down and took all of their crops and all of their their, uh, cattle and everything and left the nation of Israel with nothing for themselves. Remember how we read all of that uh, in chapter 6, I believe it was? Um, We did. We we read in chapter 6 where, in verse 4, they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. That was for seven years. You would think that all of Israel would be overjoyed at what God had done even through Gideon. But apparently not everyone in Israel was excited about the great victory that God had given Gideon and his men. And it seems that some of the people in Israel were more concerned about their personal agendas than what they were concerned with what God had done for the nation. And they failed to see the big picture. They were too focused on their own interests. In this passage before us today, gives us a glimpse at both sides of human nature, human character. On the one hand, we can see the pride of those who cared for nothing but their own interests. On the other hand, we can see those who are motivated by the glory of God. And we see some who cared for nothing but themselves, while we also see others who persisted in the face of opposition and criticism. And so I want to examine this text, and as we do, I'm going to point out the types of people that present themselves here. And as we consider these types of people, what I want us to do is to consider ourselves. And as we do, let's ask the Lord, and may our heart be that we find ourselves on the right side of the issue. And we're going to talk about pride in politics uh, this afternoon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then ask the Lord to bless His Word. Amen. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and Lord, I pray that You'd help us to examine it with a, an open heart and mind today. And I do pray, as was prayed earlier, that uh, there would be energy. First of all, I want you to note in verses 1 through 3 that there were some people here who were prideful. Verses 1 through 3 uh, shows us the Ephraimites, or those of Ephraim. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Notice, first of all, the criticism of Ephraim. After the Midianites were defeated and were on the run, the Bible tells us that Gideon sent messengers to the men of Ephraim to pursue after them. We read that in the last verses of chapter 7. The Midianites... Uh, were defeated by by Gideon and his army. And we find that the the men of Ephraim 
took two princes of the Midianites and ended up bringing their heads to Gideon. When they met up with Gideon, instead of just being grateful and thankful to the Lord for what he had done, what we find is that they began to criticize him. They wanted to know, why didn't you ask us to come and fight with you in the battle? Why didn't you call us to join in with you in this great work? And the Bible says they chided with him sharply. The word chided has the idea of bitter, strong, or cutting words. So in other words, they're criticizing Gideon that what he did wasn't good enough and they wanted to be a part of it. They attacked Gideon because he had not called them to the battle. I want to make a note. It might be helpful here to just take a minute and talk about the tribe of Ephraim for just a second. Ephraim was the largest of all the tribes of Israel. At this time, the tabernacle was located in Shiloh, which was in Ephraim. The Ephraimites descended from Joseph and his Egyptian wife. They were proud of their influence. They were proud of their power being the most influential or biggest of the tribes. They wanted the respect of the rest of the tribes. Ephraim As we would read, if you were to study them out through the Old Testament, Ephraim was often on the wrong side of spiritual matters. Later on, during the reign of of the judge Jephthah, the tribe of Ephraim would again complain that they had been left out of the battle. You can read about it in chapter 12. Go over there. Let's just take a, a quick look at it. I want to take too much time here. And the men of verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they, they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And so you, you see again that, that they have a history here and they complain again about being left out of the battle. If you were to read over in Hosea chapter 7, uh, you would see that God says that Ephraim, the tribe, is as a cake not turned. And what it means is they were, they were overcooked on the bottom and they were raw on the top. They were hot towards the world and cold towards God. You can read about it in that context. Ephraim was a tribe that was marked by trouble. They were marked by pride. They were marked by selfishness. Another powerful rebuke to the pride of Ephraim is found in Psalm 78 and verse 9. And the Bible says the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. In other words, they were all words. There was a lot of smoke, but no substance. In this case, what we find is that Ephraim is jealous over Gideon's victory. 
They're sorry that they missed out on the spoils of war. They're angry because they were not the object of the glory, and so they turned on Gideon. If Ephraim had been truly concerned about the oppression of the Midianites, you know what? They would have gone to war. They could have volunteered in Gideon's army, but they didn't volunteer. Their reaction to Gideon in this situation is not a genuine reaction. They weren't really serious about saying, well, we really wanted to help. How come we couldn't help? They were only concerned about their own agenda. All they're concerned about was the wealth or the glory or the accolades that they missed out on. And you know there's an application here? Because the Ephraimites are very typical of those who are full of themselves. Like prideful peacocks, they strut around calling attention to themselves, but when the trouble comes, they're the first ones to run away. There are people in the work of the Lord who will cloak things in spiritual terms and come across as all spiritual, but what they really want to do is just draw attention to themselves. Often the kind who don't do very much in the way of physical service, but they sure are quick to lift up their voice and squawk and criticize those who are trying to do something. They don't make decisions. They won't take a risk. They won't join in with others who are seek to following the Lord, but they don't hesitate to find fault with the actions of those who are trying to serve God. They nitpick. They sit back. They criticize. And there are plenty of people that are still around who think and act just like the Ephraimites did. But that's an attitude that a New Testament church can do without. Amen? Should not have a place inside the Lord's body. Then I want you to notice, besides their criticism, I want you to notice Gideon's self-control. Go back to verse 2 of our text. Gideon's self-control. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Orb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Instead of reacting in anger to their criticism, Gideon responds very graciously. In verse 2, Gideon reminds them that the Lord has actually really blessed you, Ephraim. They already possess more than all those around them. Gideon says, notice what he says there in verse 2. He says, is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? You know what that means? Gideon's basically saying the leftovers from your harvest is greater than what we get in our entire harvest, where I come from. You're actually blessed of God. Gideon reminds them that God gave them then the Midianite princes. You didn't even have to go to war, and God still lets you take the Midianite princes. And he turns away their wrath because he didn't respond to them in kind with pride. He was actually considering what was best for the nation. 
Gideon wasn't motivated by his own feelings or a personal recognition for him. He was motivated by submission to the will of God. Gideon gave them the glory that they wanted, and all of a sudden they were satisfied. You ever known people like that? They like to criticize. They like to find fault. In reality, they want attention for themselves. And if you just say the kind words, you just give them what they want, all of a sudden they seem to be a bit satisfied. Until the next time. You know, when you're doing something for the Lord, friend, you can expect to be criticized by those who are either doing nothing or those who want glory for themselves. When they attack you, your motives, your efforts, it would be very easy to get sidetracked and allow anger to rule in your heart. I know this to be true. It's easy to lash out. It's easy to want to put them in their place. But you know when those attacks come, and they will, we should be like Gideon. We should exercise control over our own emotions. Psalm 15 and verse 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know when you respond in kind to somebody who's angry with you, and you respond in self-justification or pride, what does that typically do? It escalates it, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't squelch it. It doesn't calm it down. It escalates it. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Lord, help me. Amen. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Short fuses, hot tempers, we get challenged, we respond in kind and in pride. Well, the Bible says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Instead of getting sidetracked by critics or getting sidetracked by naysayers, we ask the Lord to help us keep our eyes on Him in my own life and the job He's given me to do. Amen? And keep on serving. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's where we need to stay. Well, we see that when the battle was over, that there were those who were prideful. Not everybody was happy with Gideon. And let me just give you a reminder here. Life is full of battles. Life is full of times with conflict where people aren't always going to be happy. But this life is not where it's at. When the battles are over and this life is over and we face the Lord, we stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account for ourselves, not for anybody else. We're not going to give an account for those who tried to challenge us. We're going to give an account to the Lord for ourselves. That's what really matters, not what the critics say or do. Amen? So we see that some were prideful, but then we also notice that some were political. Go to verse 4 
of our text. Verse 4 says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Here we find some were political. Notice in verses 4 and 5 Gideon's request. As Gideon and his men continue in their pursuit of the Midianites, Gideon becomes concerned about the welfare of his men. And they pass these two towns. The first one was Succoth. The second one was Penuel. And at each town, Gideon made a simple and very reasonable request of his fellow brethren. These were fellow Israelites. And he asked them for bread to feed these weary men. It was a request that should have been granted without hesitation. But the Bible tells us in verse 6 and verse 8 that both of these towns refused to help Gideon and his men. Instead of coming to the aid of God's chosen deliverer, the elders of both of these towns refused to get involved in the fight with Gideon. They're playing politics. They ask Gideon, do you already have the kings in custody? Do you already have their hands? In other words, they're saying, if you don't have their kings, you haven't really won the battle. And if we help you and defeat, the, and, and all of a sudden you're defeated, those kings are going to come back after us, and we're going to pay a terrible price for helping you. So no, we're not going to help you. You're not getting any of our bread. You follow that? You understand that? Both these cities were a part of the tribe of Gad. The name Gad means a troop, and it specifically refers to a troop that crushes through the enemy. Well, <laughs> they certainly were not living up to their name, were they? They wanted their fenced cities, and they wanted their comfortable life. They wouldn't even help the man that God chose to deliver them from their enemies. They were like politicians. The politicians, even of our day, who have to see which way the wind is blowing before they'll ever make a decision. Sometimes churches are run like that, too. They were afraid to take a stand. And when the people of Succoth and Penuel refused to support Gideon and the work of God, they were clearly demonstrating the fact that they were actually against God's work. They weren't thankful for what God had already done. And like the Ephraimites, they only wanted to find fault with Gideon to protect their own little kingdoms. Did you know there are still people around who do the same thing as those cities? Do you know you can't be neutral when it comes to serving the Lord? 
You can't be neutral when it comes to serving the Lord. Jesus put it this way. He said, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Their choice is going to lead to paying a heavy price. It wasn't okay with God what they did. Now look at verse 7, because we see Gideon's response here. Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. In verse 9, he spake to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Because these two cities refused to help Gideon, Gideon tells them they're going to face some judgment when I return in victory over the Midianites. And it reminds us that there's always a price to pay for standing against the Lord. We would do well to remember that truth. Let me tell you something, friend, and I've reminded you of this before, and it's a reminder we need constantly. This life is not about the here and now. It's not about the temporal things. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord to give an account of the life that He granted us. God saved us not to live this life for self and protect our little kingdoms, but God saved us to serve Him. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Before you were ever saved, (laughs) it was the will of God that first of all you get saved, and then when you're saved, that this life is lived in service to Him. That is the will of God for you and me. All I'm saying is, are you active in the Lord's work? If you are, Stay active, amen? But may we never be found hindering or opposing or standing in the way of what God is trying to do because of our attitudes and our actions. Get on board, amen? Get on board with the Lord's work and stay busy. Some were prideful, some were political, and lastly, we find that some were persistent. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. Verse 10 uh, tells us the the rest of the story, how he had chased after Zeba and Zalmunna, how he had discomfited them, the Bible says. And then we find that All the hosts, there were 15,000 that were left, and he discomfited all the hosts. And then verse 13, And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle before the sun was up. And verse 14 tells us how he caught a man, a young man of Succoth, and he inquired, he found out what the princes of Succoth look like. And then he took the elders of the city. In verse 16, the Bible says, and the thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Zeba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom he slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king.
And the Bible tells us that ultimately Gideon slew the two kings. So, while some people walked in pride and others allowed personal political agendas to determine their allegiance, Gideon and his men simply persevered in the job that God gave them to do. And in their persistence, I think we find a good example for us. First of all, notice how they continued. Verse 4 says that they passed over Jordan with the 300 men that were with him. They were faint, yet pursuing them. Instead of being discouraged and defeated by the criticism of Ephraim and the callousness of the two cities that that they requested help from, Gideon and his army just kept pressing on and kept pressing on. And I love the phrase in verse 4 that says they were faint, yet pursuing them. These men were tired. They were weary from the battle. They're hungry. They're in need of rest. And yet they still carried on. What a great example and what a lesson for me. You know what? I can feel faint sometimes in the work of the Lord. Metaphorically speaking, after Sunday... I want to quit. But Monday comes, and you got to get right back to the work. Again, metaphorically speaking, but sometimes we can feel that way in the work of the Lord. They were tired and weary from the battle. They're in need, and yet they carry on. Sometimes, sometimes we need to be reminded that we should be like Gideon and his men. Amen. I would suggest that even when we get weary in the fight, that we look to the Lord for His strength, amen, and we keep pressing on for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If we keep a heavenly mindset that this life is not about the here and now, it's very helpful for us to be unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that is written, that verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it's written in the context of the rapture, where Paul is instructing the Corinthians to keep on, be faithful, the Lord is coming, trust Him, keep going, the Lord is coming, be faithful. Well, we all grow weary from time to time in the battle. You ever feel that way? Whether it's the battle with the flesh, whether it's just uh, keeping our priorities straight in this life, to not be entangled with the affairs of this life, whether it's uh, in particular service to the Lord, we all get weary in the fight from time to time. And when we do, we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and learn from His example. Hebrews 12, turn there quickly. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Isn't that a great verse? Consider the Lord Jesus Christ, who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Consider his life. You know what? The life that God has chosen for us to live, it can be hard at times, but we're not left alone to live it. Amen? We have his strength, and when we get weary in the fight, hey, you know what? You're saved today because of what Jesus Christ endured on your behalf. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him, what he saw. Despising the shame, it says, it didn't mean anything to him. He finished the course, and what I'm simply saying to you is, we will only be in this world a very short time. And then we fly off to glory to be with Him. Amen? But while we're here, let's determine to stay faithful to the Lord and do all we can for His glory. Well, you get to verses 10 through 12 of our text. Just stay with me here for just a minute or two more and we'll finish. Verses 10 through 12 tell us how all of these were conquered. Gideon and his men defeated their enemies. They captured the Midianite kings. They persevered in the face of opposition and criticism. They enjoyed victory. They saw God's blessing. Look at verse 10. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men. And all that were left of the host of the children of Israel, or the children of the east, for there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in the tents of the east of Noba and Jogbeha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all their hosts. Here they conquered because of the Lord. They persevered in face of opposition and criticism, and they enjoyed the blessing of God. The application is simply this. Those who quit, those who don't persist in following the Lord's will for their life, they're never going to see God use them. They're never going to see all the blessing that God promises them. The Word of God encourages us. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Those who persevere are going to enjoy God's blessing in their life. The end of your life, it's never ever going to be a shame when you follow the will of God. Amen? It might be hard sometimes, but in the end, truth is vindicated. In the end, God is glorified in the end. You see and find the blessing of God in your life. You look to verses 13 to 21 and you see how they concluded. Look at verses 15 and 16 particularly. And he came up to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? 
And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Gideon comes back with these Midianite kings. And when he came to Succoth, he took the elders of the city, and the Bible says that he drug them through the thorns and the briars, and he taught the men of Succoth. It probably killed those elders. He taught the men of Succoth. It basically, it's, 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 it's showing us that Gideon taught the men of Succoth the lesson that they would never forget. Don't stand in the way of the work of God. Verse 17 tells us that he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. So when he comes to Penuel, he did just as he said he would do. And he tore down their tower. And the verse 17 says he killed their elders. And then in verses 18 to 21, it tells us that Gideon slew those Midianite kings. In other words, because he was obedient to the Lord and to the will of God for his life, Gideon enjoyed absolute victory over all of his enemies. And in the end, God had the final say through Gideon. And here's the application before we conclude. The principle is this. Those who walk with the Lord and do the will of God, those are the ones that enjoy God's hand of blessing and victory in their life. If you want the Lord's blessing, if you want the Lord's power, if you want victory to be manifested in your life, the only path that you can follow is the one that the Lord is leading in. A life that is lived for self and choosing my own path, it might seem good for a while, but you just wait. In the end, on the surface, things may seem fine now, but when we walk against the Lord, we can expect nothing but defeat. And it doesn't matter if you're a member of a Baptist church or not. If your life was summed up today, friend, what would it be? Would it be a life that's prideful? Lived in pride? You want recognition? You want the attention on you? Would it be a life of selfish interests? The work of the Lord, it's, if I have some time, I mostly pursue after the things that I think are going to bring me the most comfort in this life now? Or can you honestly say that you're doing the best that you can to be persistent in your walk with God and your service to the Lord? God is looking for those who are not just involved on some level. God's looking for the faithful. Those who will stay faithful and true and loyal to truth, and loyal to Him, no matter what anybody else is doing or saying. Are you one of those? What would sum up the course of your life? I think it's a valuable question to be asking ourselves. A lot of times people are motivated by pride. A lot of times people are political for serving their little kingdoms. But how many are persistent in the face of all those other things in the will of God and the work of God. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd encourage and challenge us at the same time. Lord, encourage us to be faithful. Lord, may we also have the heart that wants to examine our life honestly with the Word of God. We can make so many things about us. We can cloak it all in spiritual words. But in reality, the heart is that I want recognition. Well, we could get some accolades, we could get some praise, and we would have our reward. But Lord, may we have the heart that says above all else, He must increase, I must decrease. More glory and honor to you. Lord, here's my life. Take it and use it. Give me the strength to be faithful. Give me the strength to stand in an evil day. Lord, because my heart is, I just want to please and glorify you. Some people operate in pride. Some people have to see which way the wind is blowing. They've got their agendas, but Lord, may we be the people who are persistent and faithful to you. And may our life reflect that the, the thing that's the most important to me is the will of God and the service of God. Sometimes that means through serving other people. Lord, I just pray that you would use your word. And as we take a minute, if there's areas of our life that need to be corrected or if you've spoken to a heart about life and service, Lord, may there be a commitment and a surrender of ourselves to all that you want us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.